0: So much information about Brother Roberts, um, it's quite incredible. There's, there's more written about him than there is about Brother Thomas. Uh, so there's no shortage of information to be able to glean to put these uh, talks together. But I do want to thank again, I know I did this at the commencement of Brother Thomas, but I do um, talk, but I, I do want to um, just make a point of thanking Brother Stephen Hill from, I think, Aberfoyle Park Ecclesia. Um, and um, he certainly was uh, very helpful in, in giving us probably a lifetime of work that he's uh, been involved in with um, with the study of the Pioneers. Um, the reading we've got for tonight, or what Brother Mace read for us for tonight, um, you know, we, we know what that reading meant personally to the Apostle Paul and also to Timothy, his son in the faith, because here is the last closing days of, of Paul's life. He He knows that He hasn't got too long to go before he's probably taken off the scene, and he just wants so he's so serious about wanting the truth to be preserved and to see its outworking in the future. And he was committing that work to the young man, Timothy. Uh, and hence we we have those opening words i charge you therefore before god and lord jesus christ and then he goes on to say please preach the word be instant in season reprove reprove rebuke exhort endure afflictions and when we read all that we can we can connect with the apostle paul and his son in the faith timothy and you know when i read that i can also see the pioneers and this you know not that they'd ever want to be equated to paul or timothy Um, they certainly wouldn't want that but When you look at this you can really see brother thomas handing the work across to to robert roberts Um, robert roberts was was obviously young enough to be brother thomas's son and he was truly a son in the faith to to brother thomas and i think brother thomas could see the absolute potential that robert roberts had from a very young person you know from the moment that (laughs) as a 14 year old he collected as much money as he could you know, it might have been two shillings and sixpence, but on today's standard, that would have been a lot of money for a 14-year-old to commit to the work of the truth by handing it across to to Brother Thomas in in helping preach the word through the printing of the Herald and so on. And and, and this this the Doctor Thomas could see there was so much potential in, in this man, this young young man, uh, Brother. Uh, Roberts, And, of course, by the time he got into his 20s and he became married, there's absolutely no doubt that Dr Thomas singled out Robert Roberts, fostered him, cared for him, uh, often obviously by letters because there was only three visits that they met each other when Dr Thomas came. The first visit really didn't mean much to Dr. Tom- to Robert Roberts because he was only 10 years old, but the next two would have meant an awful lot to to uh, to Robert Roberts and uh, their, la- their lives overlapped for 18 years. They were alive together and from 1853 when Robert Roberts was baptised right through to Dr Thomas's death in 1871, you can be guaranteed they made the most of their connection together on that spiritual level because like the Apostle Paul here in 2 Timothy 4, brother thomas would have wanted the truth to be handed down to somebody who could take it to the next level and that somebody was brother roberts Uh, and of course one could imagine how timothy felt when he lost uh, the apostle paul his father figure his spiritual father um, it would have been devastating to Timothy to have, have gone through that experience. And as we're going to see tonight, it was absolutely devastating when Robert Roberts lost his spiritual mentor, his father and the truth as well. So tonight what we're going to do is we're going to have a look at the hardships that Brother Roberts, Robert Roberts actually faced. And let me tell you, I've, in doing this, this study, I, I don't believe I've ever seen so much endurance patient endurance and suffering, all for the work of the truth. Uh, Brother Roberts was human. He made mistakes. We're going to see some of those mistakes this evening. But he and his wonderful wife, Jane, and let's never leave her out of this picture, all right? They were a dynamic duo together. Robert Roberts gets all the accolades, I guess, in some ways, because he's the one that's riding, fronting up to the ecclesia, fronting up to the difficulties. But behind him was a very faithful sister, a very faithful woman, who remained that way right throughout the life of Brother Roberts, and she deserves an honourable mention whenever we talk about Robert Roberts as well. And the two of them shared some extraordinarily difficult moments in their life, as we're going to see this evening. Um, I would venture to say this, uh, and it's not just my words, others have said the same thing, that uh, Robert Roberts... Uh, really died for the work of the truth, literally. He died of extreme exhaustion, extreme patient endurance, and he did so to provide you and me with a huge advantage that we can conduct ourselves in the truth the way we ought to, that we can behave the way we need to behave in the ecclesia of God. That's what we owe our pioneering brethren and particularly Robert Roberts because he gave us he gave us brothers and sisters so many experiences of life about the truth and he wrote about them and how we ought to conduct ourselves within our own personal lives but particularly in ecclesial life and we ought to be very uh, thankful for that because it is truly a momentous legacy to say the least, and so we can see here a person that died at a relatively young age, 59's not old, not when you get <laughs> to my age, 59 is not old to die, literally of exhaustion, and that's exactly really what happened. Now, his life, particularly later, was all of those verbs up there, are they verbs? I think they might be. Um, up there on the screen, you know, ones of argument, debate, difference of opinion, controversy, contention, disagreement, public dispute, dissent. You might think, well, that's a bit negative. Is that how Robert Roberts conducted his life? Well, he didn't ask for that, but he stood up. When you stand up for the truth and when you stand up for principles and when you stand up to, to, for, for the, the, the truth that's once been delivered to you and you want to make sure it stays in its purity, unfortunately, those types of things will follow you throughout life and it's a it's an understatement to say that those things followed him because they certainly did in far greater ways than what we could ever even begin to imagine particularly from 1872 onwards and for the last 25 years of Robert Roberts he endured enormous burden on his shoulders for his determination to protect what he really, truly did believe was the truth, and he wanted to protect it at all costs from the, the, the creeping in of the error that, that you'll see was, was starting to make inroads when the truth was in its infancy. So why don't we have a little look at his health? So we're going to be trumping backwards and forwards a little bit in his life here, just so that we can just take one particular subject, look at that, and, and then, you know, go look at another subject... So chronologically, this may be a little bit of out of order, but again, I think you'll get the understanding of what we're trying to, to put forward here as far as his life is concerned. First thing we want to look at is his health. He was not a healthy man. Right from the word go, he wasn't a healthy man. A young man. At The age of 19, he decided to go on this t- terribly strict diet. Um, 18 months, 18 months, can you believe this? 18 months of rice and bread. I couldn't last 18 minutes on rice and bread. 18 months on rice and bread. It actually almost killed him. Uh, he writes in his uh, in his memoirs and in his his record of his life. He says, you know, it got such to such a point where not long after my marriage, he was still doing this. This diet of bread and rice uh, he said I was so ill that with many tears we planned my own funeral he was about 20 years of age with his wife he was, they were planning a funeral together He said it was just dreadful. And the reason why he went on these vegetarian ideas, as the screen says, is because he actually really felt, and there was so much information coming out about diets and all sorts of things back then, he actually really, truly believed by going on such a diet that it would stimulate the mind, it would stimulate the brain, it would stimulate the intellect such that he would have clarity of mind and everything. It was quite the opposite. He was so ill, he could hardly think of anything uh, other than trying to get himself better. And uh, of course, he he came to his senses after 18 months, took a long time, after 18 months, and decided that that was really quite ridiculous, what he was on. And he actually states this, it's time I started eating animal food. (laughs) by which he means good dose of nice steak, protein. He needed iron, he needed protein, he was anemic, it was all sorts of things because of what he was going on as far as having just uh, carbohydrates of that nature, rice and bread for 18 months. Um, So he said, "I, uh, I went off of that and I started to enjoy animal food, good, hearty, protein, rich in steak. Well... Sad to say that he actually got hooked on that as well, and uh, he actually put on quite a bit of weight, a bit like myself. He was quite robust when he died at the age of 59, and uh, and, uh, he became, he was noted to be a little bit overweight, possibly eating too much animal food. So he went from one extreme to the other, but be that as it may, um, that was his health at such a young age, and it wasn't good for him. Then we jump forward to his age 33, Uh, his health was such that he had to spend six weeks in this special hospital. Now, these were springing up all over the place in England. They were springing up in America. They were known as um, the hydrotherapy hospitals, uh, where they used various techniques of hot and cold water to treat their patients, uh, and, and it was designed to cure you of all manner of ailments, including, and this is why, Brother Thomas, uh, sorry, Brother Roberts went to this hospital. It was designed to help cure anxiety, nervous disposition, and extreme stress. And Brother Roberts and his wife Jane writes about this, said that spending six weeks in that hospital did him the world of good. I don't know what they did in there with all this water treatment, uh, but whatever it was, he said it did him the world of good. Question is, what was he doing in that hospital at 33 years of age that he needed to be there for six weeks? Why did he go down for the count? We'll have a look at that in a moment, but just keep in the back of your mind that that's where he went. By the way, you can actually still go to that uh that place there if you want hydrotherapy, but it's a a hotel now. I think the only hydrotherapy is a spa bath in each room. That's probably it. But you can go to that exact same place that uh, Robert Roberts went to and you can stay there overnight if you so want to, um, just out of curiosity. So um, uh, he was mentally and physically fatigued at that age in his life. And it took him actually, not just the six weeks, that was the treatment, it took him 12 months to get over it. He was really an ill person, but he didn't stop what he was doing. He just kept on ploughing through the work in hand, which included, by the way, so much writing. He was a prolific writer. He just wrote book after book, after magazine, editor of Christadelphin, so on and so forth. He was an amazing character when it comes to writing. And we're the beneficiaries today of so much of his, his uh, wonderful writings. Well, one of the things that really upset Brother Roberts was a major unexpected calamity that actually occurred. It happened in 1871 when he suddenly lost his spiritual father, if you like. His father in the truth. And that really shook Brother Roberts. It really shook him immensely. He took the news very, very hard. In fact, um, he he writes uh, concerning that. He said, it was like the sudden removal of an experienced navigator when the most dangerous part of the voyage was just beginning. Now, you think about it. He's 33 years of age. He's relying heavily on getting information from Dr. Thomas on how to deal with things, and suddenly, Dr Thomas dies. He's now left with the burden of the truth in its infancy to guide it through what is about to become some explosive times in the truth's era. He's 33 years of age and he feels like the chief captain of that ship has just gone right when we needed him most. And he knew that he was going to have to move into another gear altogether if he was going to keep the focus of the truth going in the right direction. Well, he hit his first snag. He hit his first problem again at the age of 33, 34 years of age when this started to creep into the ecclesia. It was the problem called renunciationism. And I looked at that word. I looked it up. I thought, what does that actually mean? Uh, renunciationism, that's what they called it back then, is rather one of those old English words, which means that you have decided to take it upon yourself to renounce what you first believed when you joined an organisation. All right? And this actually happened with a brother by the name of Edward Turney. So we've got now a conflict that's about to happen with a young man, Robert Roberts, I still call him young at 33, 34 years of age, and a bit more of an experienced person, Edward Turney, who came from the church. By the way, many of the current converts into the truth came from the church. And usually those that were outspoken had quite prominent positions in the church. And Edward Turney was one of those. So what did he renounce? What was the issue that he had that he wanted to renounce and start promulgating, teaching something slightly different to what he had been taught? when he first came into the truth? Well, he was renouncing the fundamental principles of the atonement. Turney actually started to teach that Christ was not born with condemned human nature. In other words, what he was teaching was that that the Lord Jesus Christ really did not benefit from his own death. He had a free life. That is to put it as we would understand it maybe today, he had clean flesh. You've all heard of the term clean flesh, the doctrine of clean flesh. Well, that started with Brother Edward Turney. Now, Robert Roberts hasn't got Dr Thomas he can write to for advice here. Brother Roberts doesn't have many other brethren, he does have other supporters don't get me wrong I'm not suggesting he was the only one that knew the truth very well there were others that definitely knew the truth very well at the time but he was the focal point where everyone he was the go-to person in England go to Robert Roberts he will know the answer he's 34 years of age and he's got an experienced person getting up and stating I don't believe Jesus really benefited from his own death And he starts to see a pattern developing here that if he doesn't step in and deal with this as quickly and as speedily as he does, the truth's only 25 years old at this point in time. All right, it's only been around 25 years, not like 160, 70 years it's been here with us today. And here is this young brother, feels though the whole world is on his shoulders to protect what he has been given and what all the other brothers and sisters have been given because they've got this inroads of this, Teaching that is not in line with what the Bible actually teaches. So he has his first major doctrinal error that he has to confront at a young age. And Brother Roberts wrote to combat this. He wrote two very speedily booklets, I guess, not so much books. The Slain Lamb and the Sacrifice of Christ. He wrote those two to combat clean flesh which some of us have probably got these books on our library, or booklets on our library. And, and this was essential that he got this information out. Don't forget, it's no emails, there's no emails, you know, there's no other ways of getting information out except by putting it in some sort of printed form and getting it out there that people could read for themselves. It's estimated that about 65 brothers and sisters followed after Turney and his newfound doctrine known later as clean flesh. In fact, it ended up here in Australia with a brother, Bell, who adopted the same principles. And so we had the problem in Australia of clean flesh. We didn't have the problem of JJ Andrew or Andrewism. We had the problem of clean flesh. Brother Roberts had both problems to have to deal with. This was his first major one he had to deal with. And this was the one that put him in hospital. This was the one that broke his nerves. And he developed acute nervous depression as a result of this major confrontation. And as we said, it took 12 months to recover. 33, 34 years old. I don't know, how old are you, Dave? You're about somewhere around there? 30, a bit younger. 33, 34 years old, brother in the truth, He's the go-to person that has a knowledge that is exceptional for his age and for his experience and life and the truth. And suddenly you've got somebody coming out and promulgating a theory that does not stack up to what the Bible teaches. And the whole pressure is on your shoulders to try and burden, or try and carry this this whole idea of combating this, this wrong doctrine before it creeps into the ecclesia and destroys the truth in its infancy. That's a pretty major burden to carry, and he did. He carried it very well, but it wasn't without him undergoing some severe um, difficulties. Um, the next issue he faced, now if we're looking at the issues now, all right, so we're just travelling through his life and we're looking at the doctrinal issues he had to. This was the one that probably caused the most angst within the brotherhood. you probably heard of it. It's called partial inspiration. And it started with a brother called Brother Robert Ashcroft. Uh, brother Robert Ashcroft was an ex-reverend of the local church. Uh, he readily accepted the truth. He was baptised in 1876 at the age of 34 he gave up a 500 pounds a year, which is well over $100,000 on our, our wages today, 500 pound job a year, threw it all the didn't care about living in poverty because he could see the truth for what it was worth and he absolutely loved it and he took it with both hands and he was loved by everybody, including Robert Roberts. Robert Roberts loved that brother even went out of his way to help him financially and try to garner support within the brotherhood to help him and his family because they virtually had nothing. He didn't have anything to rely on for an income anymore and get paid when you're a teacher or a believer within the Christadelphian Ecclesia. Um, So he was received very well by Robert Roberts. In fact, he became the assistant editor. That's how important it was to Robert Roberts. He became the assistant editor of the Christadelphian and he wrote... Arguably some of the best articles that Chris Delphin had at that particular time. He did a lot of local speaking. He was a very good orator, great at speaking. Uh, He even got invited to America to speak. So he went across to America, spoke over there in America. They loved him. Everybody loved Brother Robert Ashcroft. They really felt as though he was the man that was going to walk tandemly together with Robert Roberts. And he had a, a great following. That made the whole issue become even more difficult for Brother Roberts to, to handle. So what he came up with, and he started writing his own little articles in his own little booklets. Some of, Most of them were quite okay. But what he started to say was, you know what? There seems to be some contradictions in the Bible especially when it comes to historical matters that don't quite line up with the Bible and therefore we've got a problem. Now that problem can be overcome if we simply adopt a common sense stand with the scripture by saying that not all of the Bible is inspired. Yes, the things about the teachings and the doctrines, they're all inspired, but there's some areas there that don't quite match up with historical data that we had at the time, and therefore we really should accept the fact that the Bible is only partially inspired. Now, Robert Roberts, that, this is not an easy one for him to deal with, all right? Because, A, Brother Ashcroft is extremely popular, everybody loves him, and they would hang off every word he says, all right? They think he's just wonderful. And B, of course, this is a new idea that just came out out of the blue and, and, and Brother Roberts has got to deal with it. Robert Roberts' comeback was very straightforward. In fact, they had debates, they had chats together, they wrote to each other, they put it out in writings for the whole ecclesia world to look at and understand and digest. But Brother Roberts was 100% correct. He said, if you accept partial inspiration, which part is inspired and which part isn't? So when we get down the track and we have another issue and someone says, oh, it says in the Bible that this is what we should do. And another brother says, oh, yeah, but that's not inspired. That's just how it was basically, you know, just somebody made that up at the time and it just happened to find its way in the scriptures. So Robert Robert said, you're going to be beset with so many problems if you dare go down the track that the whole Bible is not inspired, apart from the fact, of course, that. All scripture, as it says in the previous chapters, what we read here, all scripture is given by the inspiration of God, not just part of it. But, of course, this was taking a lot of time to try and work out how to solve this particular problem. So, as we said, he was an accomplished speaker. Uh, It made the whole issue more difficult to resolve. Uh, Brother Roberts used the postcard method for dealing with those that supported wrong doctrine. This is really interesting. And this is where, dare I say, that Brother Roberts came under intense criticism over using this method to disseminate between those that were gonna follow this man's teachings and those that were gonna follow what Robert Roberts was portraying as the truth of the Bible. So this man came in the truth in uh, 1876. He was baptised. Within eight years, he had turned the ecclesial world on its head and it was heading towards a destructive end because once you allow partial inspiration in, you have allowed so many other errors to creep in and Brother Roberts, still fairly young, had to try and deal with this issue. Um, Because Brother Roberts used the postcard issue, there was a major split in the ecclesial world at the time. The Birmingham Ecclesia, which Robert Roberts was a part of, had split over this issue and the Suffolk Suffolk Street Ecclesia was established. Now, I just need to make this very clear because I know there possibly are Brother Arts listening to this and he'll want this to be made, I'm sure. The Suffolk Street Ecclesia did not leave the Birmingham Ecclesia to follow Brother Ashcroft. They never believed in partial inspiration. It was a split because the way in which this was handled, and the lot didn't really appreciate the way in which Brother Roberts handled the situation. What happened to Brother Ashkoff? Well, he eventually left the truth. He died in 1921 in Canada, and he died as an agnostic. This is what happens when you start to water down the principles of the truth that we've been given to us to, to, to preserve and to hold tight to ourselves. And this man here—he died not knowing whether it was a god or wasn't a god. He didn't know. He was an agnostic. It's a sad ending, really, isn't it, to a brother that started off so extremely well? So, what was this postcard issue? What actually happened? Well, it got to the point where it was—they were at loggerheads. It did not happen overnight. It took six months of toing and froing between each other. The ecclesia world was finding out about it through writings, through you know, Brother Ashcroft writing and, and he got mixed up with another brother called Brother Chamberlain and, and the two of them together were putting out information that every, every night you could imagine Robert Roberts down at his table, lamp burning, writing out a, a disclaimer of everything that they've said and putting out what the truth of the Bible says and it went on and on and on because Brother Roberts was so desperate to want to peaceably resolve this and it got to a point where sudden decisive action had to happen because it looked as though there was going to be an awful lot of people who were going to get swayed across to Brother Ashcross thinking. So what happened? Brother Roberts had this idea that he needed to know out of the Birmingham Ecclesia, I think there was a 200 members at the time, so it had grown quite considerably by this stage, he needed to know who was going to support the truth of the Bible, which was what he was... Teaching, or who was going to follow Brother Ashcroft's idea of partial inspiration? And if you were going to follow that, Brother Roberts made it very clear you really do not have a part in the Christadelphian ecclesia anymore because you are not following what we believe is the truth. But how is he going to do it? He can't just ring people up. There was no phones. And he he had no time to do a one-on-one in you know. Um, it's sort of a chat with with the uh with the brothers and sisters and find out where they stood. So what he did was he sent out a postcard. <laughs> Sounds funny, doesn't it? We you know postcards are somewhere you visited and you've got a lovely picture and it arrives at your letter, oh look so and so is down there, you know, Tasmania and enjoying the love the life down there. It's really great. No, it wasn't that type of postcard. The postcard then was really like a like a letter with a statement that that was on the back of it and so what brother roberts did was he sent this postcard and he he had his address on it as a return address so here's what it looked like robert roberts that's where he obviously lived and he would send that to every ecclesial member of the birmingham ecclesia brother and sister not just one for the household brother got one and the sister who might be husband and wife got one of these and on the back it's a bit hard to read On the back, it basically had a statement saying, Brother Ashcroft is teaching this. We believe it's error. If you want to be part of the Birmingham Ecclesia, you also have to resist Brother Ashcroft's teaching and you have to repudiate all those that would stand by Brother Ashcroft's teaching. So that's what was on the back of the postcard. You had to initial it. You posted it back to Brother Roberts, he would get them all, he would go through and say, Ah, look, great, They, they believe the same as me, they believe the same as me, and then he would post out a ticket that you had to bring to the ecclesial hall to get into the meeting. Entrance ticket. And if you didn't have a ticket, you didn't get into the hall. And it is suggested that Brother Roberts chose the largest brother he could to stand on the door the morning that people rolled up to come to the meeting. (laughs) This is interesting, isn't it? He thought this is the only way to work out who's gonna be on his side and who's gonna be for error. Guess what? Got an original postcard here. Now this is all thanks to Robert Roberts' son-in-law's brother's grandson. Ross Hyman has the original postcard here that you can come down and have a look at afterwards. Here it is, an original. I don't know who this... It's actually that person there, if you can read who that is. It's a sister anyway that got this and... Somehow she must have sent it back to Robert Roberts, so she got her ticket in the post and she was able to come to the ecclesial hall and present her ticket and come into the meeting with open arms. The problem was some people didn't even get their postcard. Some people didn't believe that they should need to do this. You you can see the issue that's starting to develop here. It's not so much the issue of the doctrine, it's the issue of how you handled the, the problem. And for all the criticism that comes Brother Robert's way over this, and there was quite a bit, and this is why the Suffolk Ecclesia, Suffolk Ecclesia actually started, because they did not agree really with how it was all happening, and those that rolled up to the meeting never had a ticket and said, I never got a postcard, I never got any ticket in the post sent to me, but I don't believe, sorry, can't come in. The old COVID thing's not looking too bad at the moment when you check yourself in here, every, every place you've got to have that, but... Isn't it amazing how things could go bad? And it did go bad for Brother Roberts on this particular occasion. So, sadly, it was one of those negative areas of, of Brother Thomas's, uh, Brother Roberts' life that um, probably if he rethought it, he would do it again. Brother Islip Collier, and Ross pointed this out to me, he wrote, it's in this book here, Robert Roberts, Islip Collier writes it, in defending Robert Roberts at the time, said, well, realistically... He did what he thought was right at the time, and when you, were, if you put yourself back in that position, he had to get. He was really. It came to a pointy end where he had to have a decision made very quickly, and this this was a way in which he felt he could make that get this decision made. And uh, of course, it didn't quite go to plan, but nonetheless, um, it uh, it did actually, uh, I guess, have a final final outcome. Um, that wasn't the only issue he had to face. The next issue he had to face was this man here, this brother, J.J. Andrews. And this was all about uh, resurrectional responsibility. So now, uh, Brother Andrews, again, another very prominent brother in the truth um, who who decides that he's going to take the truth to a next real very strict conservative level of saying that only those who are baptised will be raised to be judged. So baptism is the criteria for resurrection, not responsibility. By Again, we haven't got time to go into this, but as soon as you allow that, that doctrinal thinking in your mind, you, you open up Pandora's box with so many other areas that become a real problem to understanding what the truth's all about. Now, brother Andrews was a well-respected brother, possibly in line to being the editor of the Christadelphian. It's always these brethren that are very well-versed in scripture themselves and, and also have the ability to be able to hold their own, and he did. He was an excellent lecturer, so they tell us. Um, the latest uh, challenge to the truth lasted for four years. This was not one that's going to be overcome very easily. Uh, it still actually continues, so they say, in some parts of the United States of America today, uh, which I assume is the unamended faith, but I've yet to be corrected or see exactly where that, that lies. But nonetheless, it apparently hasn't really been fully resolved. Uh, Robert Roberts uh, was returning from Australia to the uh, UK. So you can see what's four years, because this is 1894, 1894. In 18, he had two trips to Australia, 1895 and 1897, uh, 1897, '98, went over the two years. But it was on the second uh, trip back um, that uh, he was trying to he was coming back to help resolve the matter. Of course, he, he died on the way home. He didn't actually get back. But while he was in Australia, he, he wrote the amendment to the BSF, the Birmingham Statement of Faith. He had to write an amendment to, to, to combat. Resurrectional responsibility, and he did so while he was in Australia to help combat that uh, that doctrine. So there's some issues that Brother T- uh, Robert. These aren't the only ones, but they're the major ones that he had to face during his short time, really in the truth. I say short because 59, as I said, is not that old. Let's have a look at some of the issues, family issues, and sadnesses that he had to he had to endure. There's a picture of some of his family. Of course, Robert Roberts down the front. You can see his dear old mother, she lived a ripe old age of 92. Uh, Jane Roberts lived 89, so she, she lived a, a, a quite a long time as well. The, the, the sister in the background there is Mary, that's his daughter-in-law that married the only son that Robert Roberts had. Of course, he did lose four children, but the only surviving son was Edward, and Mary married uh, Edward. Eusebia, um ended up um, uh, marrying uh, an Australian larrikin, almost a criminal. Um, and if you read his, his uh, uh, way of life, he was in trouble with the law quite of, a few amount of times and got arrested a few amount of times and so on. They never had any children. They ended up really parting their parting ways and she spent most of her life without him in, in, in her life anyway. So that didn't work out too well. Sarah, of course, married the lads into the Ladson family and had two children, one Una, who was a little girl died at the age of four. And then had Edith, who lived a ripe old age, and Ross and Julia met Edith over in England. She died in two thousand and two, never got married, never had children. so there was no ongoing lineage from from those that particular family there Not, the other lady sister behind is a random sister <laughs> very important sister, I'm sure, but nothing to do with this story uh, so she's uh she happens to be in the uh, in the photo, but why I'm showing you this is because there's Mary there. That's her, their son, or sorry, daughter-in-law. She. This is her again, in the middle there. This is Edward. This is the, this is Robert Roberts' only surviving son, Edward. And the sadness of this photo here is that Edward and Mary meant so much to Jane and to to uh, to Robert. Uh, and, of course, they had uh, the two grandchildren down the front, which are seated on the laps of uh, Robert Roberts. But one of the saddest moments of the life of brother and sister Roberts that he describes as his crowning sorrow was when his son wrote a letter to his dad, to Robert Roberts, just before he was getting on the ship for the second voyage out to Australia, and he wrote a letter saying, Dear Dad, I'm making it really big time now in the medical field, I'm a doctor, I'm mixing in with with a lot of people, and it's made me question my faith to the point that I'd no longer want the truth. And he and his wife left the truth in 1898, right at the last moments of Brother uh, Roberts' life. And in fact, his daughter, Jane, says that she believes that the letter played on Brother Roberts' mind so much that it was the catalyst that finally took his life when he got back to San Francisco on his way home to England. He was so distressed over receiving that letter from his son. And that's why he called it to this to the to the day he died, he said, This is my crowning sorrow. They'd lost four children, he writes. They lost four children before they had the opportunity to accept the truth, and then to lose their only surviving son who walked away from the truth. It was his crowning sorrow. So it was a very sad time in their life, but I tell you what, that's just the beginning of it because then of course there's family tragedy. And as difficult as it is for those who have lost children, we can't shy away from the tragic time in the life of Robert Roberts and Jane Roberts in this particular occasion. It's a very truly tragic time. Now he had, two, he had four children, two we know of in bit of detail as to what it meant to lose these particular two. One was named John Thomas after Dr. Thomas, and the other one was named Eleanor Thomas after Ellen, uh, sorry, Eleanor Roberts after Ellen Thomas. John Thomas was aged uh, four when he died of scarlet fever, and Eleanor Thomas died less than four weeks later of exactly the same. Disease. It broke their hearts. Their hearts were truly broken, as you could well and truly imagine. We know from this ecclesia. We all remember Sky. We we, we were devastated, and we still are very sad about these events. To lose two and four weeks, lose four altogether, it's just it's just heartbreaking particularly little John Thomas. Now, this is what he writes in the Christadelphian about the day he heard, or the day that this little boy died. On November the 22nd, a knife was plunged into my heart by the death of a charming son of four years, called after Dr Thomas. Unusual intelligence, frankness, manliness and docility, with personal comeliness and physical development in a high degree, had endeared him to many... But above all, to myself, who found in him a pillow of comfort in the bitterness of the battle. The blow is crushing. Look at this statement. Only one consolation is available. That the father cannot err. Wow. That's... That's pretty difficult. When he wrote that, he had no idea that within the next three or so weeks his little girl was going to die of the same thing. You know, I suggested that uh, it was written that um, John Thomas would, uh, this little boy here, uh, as a four-year-old, would hear his dad coming home from, from work, from the printing, from the, from the papers that he worked for. He'd hear his dad coming home and he'd run up the passageway and he'd, as Robert Roberts walked in the door, little John Thomas would run into his arms and would give his dad a big hug and he would say, Dad, did Jesus come back today? You could see how he, he was. He was truly a pillow of comfort in the, in the, in the battle, of the bitter battle that he was, he was facing at the time. Very, very difficult times for Robert and Jane Roberts. In fact, from 1870 to 1873, I would venture to say, was probably the darkest moments in their life. Let me just show you what happened in the space of three years. All right, this is what happened. Uh, this, this all happened in, in, that, in, in that between 1870 and 1873. First of all, his youngest brother, Robert Roberts' youngest brother, died tragically in 1870. We're not told how he died. We're just told he suffered acutely from depression and he died in tragic circumstances. So you can work that out for yourself. It would have been such a blow for that family and Robert Roberts especially. Robert Roberts, within three or four months, loses his spiritual father, Dr Thomas, dies in 1871. In the same year, his own father dies in September 1871. Their own son, John Thomas, dies next year, aged four years old. Three weeks later, their daughter, Ellen, died on December 1872. He's then faced with the first major doctrinal issue, July 1873. Mentally, physically a broken man. He's hospitalised. Takes 12 months to get over it and he's in that hospital for six weeks. October 1873. He gets out of hospital and his only sister that he's got that means the world to him who introduced him to the truth realistically dies giving childbirth. All that in the space of 36 months. How, How would we even think to cope with something like that? And yet, he soldiered on. He soldiered on and the next thing he had to deal with was the electric sugar refinery scam. I'm gonna be very quick with this because this was a scam that roped in Christadelphians and they are mentioned in the New York Times as a religion that was caught up with this scam. The Brotherhood lost thousands of dollars in this fraud and innocently, Brother Roberts played a large role in this. And this, this hurt Brother Roberts Absolutely hurt him. What happened was a reputable Christadelphian uh, working in New York had some financial dealings with a um, so-called German chemist that called himself Professor Henry Fruend. And he had apparently invented a machine, an electric... Because, well, you know, electricity was pretty new then. He had invented this electric machine that was going to transform the way in which we got our sugar. So you're putting in raw sugar in this end, put it in the machine, and out this end comes white, pure a refined sugar. It's going to be absolutely a magnificent machine. There it is all set out. All we need is money to help us. And this brother said to Robert Roberts, this is it. This is going to be fantastic. What we can do is we can invest in this and any of the proceeds that we get, we'll plough back into the truth. We'll be able to preach the truth more. We'll even be able to, he said, give money to Palestine Jews to get them settled in the land. That's their whole reasoning. So... You know what, brothers and sisters, their motives were pure, but their due diligence lacked 100%. Because there was never a machine. It was the biggest con ever. And without getting into it too much, what happened was when he displayed this machine, he would say, I can't show you the machine. I will show you. There it is under the rag. And he lifted up and it looked like some machine under there. He said, "But there's no way I'm going to show anybody this because we live in a day where people are going to copy but I'll show you how it works. And so he would have this locked behind in a room, and over here they would be pouring in buckets of, of uh, raw sugar, all sorts, anything, sugar cane. they'd be pouring it into this great big chute. They would hear this rumbling going on in this secret room, and out over here would come this pure white sugar. That was it. And everyone went, that's amazing. How incredible is that? And they got over a million dollars, by the way. This money just kept flying in, not just from dolphins, of course, across the board. And all it was doing is people were putting stuff in here and behind the closed room, they were just leaving it there and someone was running around and pouring white sugar they'd already bought out through here. And so it all looked as though this machine, which was rattling away behind the closed doors, was doing this wonderful job. Biggest scam ever. And sadly a lot of brothers and sisters lost a lot of money, including Robert Roberts. And uh, it was uh, a failed investment scheme, had, as we said, motives were pure, but due diligence wasn't. And for the rest of the years that brother Roberts was alive, he made it his intent purpose to be paying back the money that he convinced people to put into this scam. He made mistakes. He he made mistakes, and that's um, one of the, the uh, aspects of Brother Roberts. You know, Brother I. S. L. I. P. says this about Robert Roberts in these particular areas. He said, just one statement: Brother Roberts was not a good businessman, and he wasn't. He had to get away. He had to go on a therapeutic trip to Australia. His doctors told him, "You are." You're suffering badly. You need to get away. I suggest a sea voyage. Australia had been asking, and the truth was already established in Australia. That's the exact ship he went on to to, uh, to Australia, the uh, the Aruba. Uh, and it was going to be a therapeutic trip that would get the, the sea air into his lungs and away he would go and just relax. A bit of R&R. You'd think he would want that, wouldn't you? Yes, of course he did. Well, um, he landed in Adelaide at the Largs... Jetty. That's the picture of Largs Jetty in 1897. He arrived October 1st, 1895. They would anchor out there. They'd get a tender boat into the end of the Largs Pier and a train went out on the jetty at Largs Bay and would pick up the the passengers and bring them into town. This is his therapeutic trip, all right? This is where he's just got to relax. Well, here's, here's... How about this for relaxing? In five months... He visited 33 cities and towns. He went on his own, by the way. Jane Roberts didn't go with him on the first trip. 61 lectures he did in five months. 37 exhortations. He addressed 753 brethren and sisters and he addressed 10,000 strangers during his lectures. That doesn't seem like a therapeutic trip to me. As he's coming down Larg's jetty, he's looking out the window and he sees that now, we all know where that is. Well, <laughs> Steve knows where it is. <laughs> That's the Largs Pier Hotel. And the first thing he comments about that in Diary of the Voyage is, wow, that reminds me of Henry Sully's description of the temple, uh, which was, is quite interesting because we know what Henry Sully's uh, description of the temple was like. Exactly those arches. That Largs Pier Hotel is still there today. Um, so, yeah, it's quite, quite interesting why he says that. He gets to Melbourne. The brothers and sisters are, are so thankful that he's there. Uh, this is his second trip, by the way, in 1897, that they buy this house for him, or they they have it built and give it to him, donate it to him, because Brother Roberts is now going to go back to England. He's going to rush back home. He, he's uh, going to sort out his affairs, fix up the, the issue with, uh, with the uh, problem with... Um, J.J. Andrews, and he's going to come back and retire in Melbourne. This is the home they gave him. It was donated to a rural suburb of Coburg. That's it today. You can still go there now, and you can go and see it. See that little loft up there? That's where Ministry of the Prophets was written. He never got that finished, of course. C.C. C. Walker finished it, and also the Law of Moses. All right, we're just about finished. We're now coming to the conclusion of his life. He heads back to England via America leaves his wife and daughter in Melbourne, hops on board a ship, gets to San Francisco, meets with the brothers at the, uh, at the city, goes out for tea with them that night, comes back to his hotel, the Cosmopolitan Hotel, and passes away the very next morning. He's found by a brother who went to pick him up to take him to the, to the uh, pier for his next part of his journey. Uh, and that's the exact room, by the way. They they worked out which room it was that he, he died in, and he was 59. He died on the 23rd of September, 1898. It was his wishes that he be buried next to Brother Thomas. Brother C.C. C. Walker came across from England, arranged for Brother Robert's body to be trained across to New York, so like Perth to Sydney, and he was buried where he wanted to be buried right alongside of Brother uh, Brother Thomas. You know, what what an amazing reunion awaits the day of resurrection when they all come out of that particular grave. This is what is said on the grave of Robert Roberts. Um, It simply says this, here lies Robert Roberts of Birmingham, England, Editor of the Christadelphian, author of Christendom Australia, and many other works, who for 40 years was in the front ranks of the Christadelphians, aided and continued the work begun by Dr Thomas, whose side he now sleeps in Jesus and when he died. So what's the lessons of Robert Roberts, brothers and sisters? Well, he used every opportunity to preach the truth. He saw everything in life in context of the truth. He managed his working life to fit the truth he learned in the face of controversy and I would say even adversity that the truth of God is the rule of friendship and communion. Greatly valued the writings of Brother Thomas, and although he was flawed like all men, he's still a great inspiration. He's left a large legacy of immensely valuable writings. So we leave it there, brothers and sisters. I know we rushed the last little bit, but times against us you know, where it all began. Two men, two missions. They did their missions. They were, they were independent of each other. You know, Elijah, Elisha style, Paul, Timothy style. They had one goal, brothers and sisters. One goal. And that goal was simple. To find the truth, to preach the truth, and above all, to preserve the truth. And we are here tonight because of the work of those two men. And while we are enormously thankful and appreciative and respect the work that these men did, and particularly as we've been dealing with Robert Roberts over the last couple of weeks, we we are very very appreciative of that. One thing we're very more appreciative of is that God chose these men to do this work because he knew that they had the ability to be able to carry forth the truth in the way that they did. And we look forward, brothers and sisters, to meeting these wonderful brethren and their families very soon.